Hey guys, and welcome back to Haunting True Crime Podcast. I've been gone for a while because I had bronchitis, but I'm back now and my voice is pretty much back to normal, so here I am again. This week, I wanted to talk about the Dybbuk box. And before we get started, I also want to mention that I said in my first episode that I wanted to do a mixture of things, you know, true crime, ghost stories, conspiracy theories, all the creepy things. So this week we're going to talk about a paranormal story. So if paranormal is not your thing, then maybe wait till like next week or something and maybe we'll have something you want then. But anyone else that is interested, we're talking about the Dybbuk box. Now, anybody that is interested in paranormal will know that the Dybbuk box is super popular. It got really popular in 2012 when the original owner put it on eBay. But before we get into that story, we're going to quickly define what a Dybbuk is. So according to dictionary.com, there's 3,000 different definitions of this word, so I just picked one and went with it. So a Dybbuk is a demon or the soul of a dead person that enters the body of a living person and directs the person's conduct. And exorcism is the only possible way to get rid of them. So that's what a Dybbuk is. So, in order to get the full feeling of this story, I was going to read the original eBay posting by Kevin Manis. It's really creepy, and it's something to listen to, so here we go. All of the events that I am about to set forth in this listing are accurate and can be verified by the winning bidder with the copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits that I am including as part of this sale of the cabinet. During September of 2001, I attended an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. The items liquidated at this sale were from the estate of a woman who had passed away at the age of 103. A granddaughter of the woman told me that her grandmother had been born in Poland, where she grew up, married, raised a family, and lived until she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She was the only member of her family who survived the camp. Her parents, brothers, and a sister, husband, and two sons and a daughter were all killed. She survived the camp by escaping with some other prisoners and somehow making her way to Spain, where she lived until the end of the war. I was told that she acquired the small wine cabinet listed here in Spain, and it was the only one of three items that she brought with her when she immigrated to the United States. The other two items were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. I purchased the wine cabinet along with the sewing box and some other furniture at the estate sale. After the sale, I was approached by a wom- the woman's granddaughter who said, I see you got the Dippic box. She was referring to the wine cabinet. I asked her what a Dippic box was, and she told me that when she was growing up, her grandmother always kept the wine cabinet in her sewing room. It was always shut and set in a place that was out of reach. The grandmother always called it the Dippic box. When the girl asked her grandmother what was inside, her grandmother spit three times through her fingers and said, a Dippic, and... Kesleem, I think. The grandmother went on to tell the girl that the wine cabinet was never ever to be opened. The granddaughter told me that her grandmother had asked that the box be buried with her. However, such a con- such a request was contrary to the rules of an Orthodox Jewish bur- Jewish burial. If I can speak, the grandmother's request had not been honored. I asked the granddaughter what a dibik and Kesleem were. But she did not know. I asked if she would like to open it with me. She did not want to open it as her grandmother had been very emphatic and serious when she instructed her not to do so. 
and regardless of the reason, she wanted to honor her grandmother's request. I finally ended up offering to let her keep what seemed to me to be a sentimental keepsake. At that point, she was very insistent and said, no, no, you bought it. I explained that I didn't want my money back and that it would make me feel better to do what I thought was an act of kindness. She then became somewhat upset. Looking back now, the way she became upset was just plain odd. She raised her voice to me and said, you bought it, you made a deal. When I tried to speak, she yelled, we don't want it. She began to cry, asked me to leave, and quickly walked away. I wrote the whole episode off to stress and grief she must be experiencing. I took my purchases and politely left. At the time when I bought the cabinet, I owned a small furniture refinishing business. I took the cabinet to my store and put it in my basement workshop where I intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to my mother. I didn't think anything more about it. I opened my shop for the day and went to run some errands, leaving the young woman who did sales for me in charge. After about a half hour, I got a call on my cell phone. The call was from my salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit and she couldn't get out. As I told her to call the police, my cell phone battery went dead. I hit speeds of 100 miles per hour getting back to the shop. When I arrived, I found the gates locked. I went inside and found my employee on the floor in, the, in a corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. I ran to the basement and went downstairs. At the bottom of the stairs, I was hit by an overpowering, unmistakable odor of cat urine. There had never been any animals kept or found in my shop. The lights didn't work. As I investigated, I found that the reason the lights didn't work also explained the sounds of glass breaking. All the light bulbs in the basement were broken. All nine incandescent bulbs had been broken in their sockets, and ten four-foot fluorescent tubes were laying shattered on the floor. I did not find an intruder, however. I should have also add that there was only one entrance to the basement. It would have been impossible for anyone to leave without meeting me head-on. I went back to speak with my salesperson, but she had left. She never returned to work, after having been with me for two years. She refuses to discuss the incident to this day. I never thought of relating the events of that day to anything having to do with the cabinet. Then, things got worse. As I already indicated, I had decided to give the cabinet to my mother as a birthday gift. About two weeks after I made the purchase, I decided to get started refinishing it. I was surprised to find that the cabinet has a unique little mechanism. When you open one of the doors, the mechanism causes the opposite door and the little drawer below to open at the same time. It is very well made. Inside the cabinet, I found the following items. One 1928 U.S. wheat penny. One 1925 U.S. wheat penny. One small lock of blonde hair bound with string. One small lock of black or brown hair bound with string. One small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters. I have been told that the letters spell out the word shalom. One dried rosebud one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick with octopus legs. I saved all the items in the box, intending to return them to the estate. The family has re refused the items, so they will be included with the sale of the cabinet. After opening the cabinet, I decided not to refinish it. I cleaned it and rubbed in some lemon oil. It was at this time that I noticed there was an inscription in Hebrew carved into the back of the cabinet. I have no idea what it says or if it's significant. I have included a picture of that inscription below. 
On my mother's birthday, October 28th of 2001, my mother called me to tell me she was going out of town with my sister for three days, and we postponed celebrating her birthday together until she returned on October 31st, 2001. My mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight more than five minutes when one of my employees came running to my office saying that something was wrong with my mom. When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mom sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how I tried to get her to respond, she would not. She could not. It turns out that my mother had suffered a stroke. She was taken by the ho- taken to the hospital by ambulance. She ended up suffering partial paralysis and losing her ability to speak and form words. She has since regained the ability to speak. She could understand things being said to her and could respond by pointing to letters of the alphabet to spell out words she wanted to say. When I asked her the following day how she was doing, she teared up and spelled out the words, No gift. I assured her that I had given her a gift for her birthday, thinking that she didn't remember. But she became even more upset and spelled out the words, hate gift. I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet and that I would get her anything she wanted if she would promise to get well soon. Still, I didn't associate anything that had happened with the cabinet itself or anything paranormal. I don't think I've ever even used the term paranormal until this last month. I'll try to make this short now. I gave the cabinet to my sister. She kept it for a week, then gave it back. She complained that she couldn't get the doors to stay closed, and they kept coming open. No, there are no springs in the door mechanism, and I have never found that the doors came open. I gave it to my brother and his wife, who kept it for three days, and then gave it back. My brother said it smelled like jasmine flowers, while his wife insisted that it put out an odor of cat urine. I gave it to my girlfriend who asked me to sell it for her after only two days. I sold it the same day to a nice middle-aged couple. Three days later, when I came to open the shop for the day, I found the cabinet sitting at the front doors with a note read, This has a bad darkness. I have no idea what that meant. Anyway, I ended up taking it home. Then things got even worse. Since the day I brought it home, I began having strange reoccurring nightmares. Every time I have the terrible dream, it goes something like this. I find myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust at some point in the dream. I find myself looking into the eyes of the person that I am with. It is then that I realize there is something different, something evil looking back at me. At that point in my dream, the person I am with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome, demonic-looking hag that I have ever seen. This hag proceeds to then beat the living tar out of me. I have awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where I had been hit by the old woman during the previous night. Still, I never related the nightmares to the cabinet, nor do I think I ever would have. About a month ago, however, my sister and brother and his wife came over to my house and spent the night. The following morning during breakfast, my sister complained that she had had a horrible nightmare. She had said that she recalled having had it a couple times before and went on to describe my nightmare exactly to the last detail. My brother and his wife froze as they listened and then chimed in that they had both had the exact same dreams during the night as well. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck and still is. As we talked, it became clear that the common denominator was that each of us had the nightmare during the times that the cabinet was in our respective homes. 
I called my girlfriend and asked if she could recall having any nightmares recently. She described the same nightmare, same hag, same everything. When I asked her if she remembered the date when she had the nightmare, she said no, she did not. Then I asked if it had happened to be the night before she gave me the cabinet back to sell for her. She said, yeah, hey, how'd you know that? Now then, since my family discussion, it seems like all hell is breaking loose. For a week afterward, I started seeing what I can only describe as shadow things in my peripheral vision. In fact, numerous visitors to my house have claimed that they have seen these shadow things. I put the cabinet in an outside storage unit and was awakened when the smoke alarm in the unit went off in the middle of the night. When I went to see what was burning, I opened the door and didn't see any smoke. However, I did get hit with the smell of cat urine. When I went back inside, the smell was there in my house. I do not own a cat and I never have. I went back outside and grabbed the cabinet. I brought it back inside and tried to research it on the internet. While I was surfing the net, I fell asleep and once again had the same freaking nightmare. I woke up around 4.30 a.m. when it felt and smelled like someone was breathing on my neck to find that my house now smelled like jasmine flowers and just in time to see a huge shadow thing go loping down the hall away from me. I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I am afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I have been told that there are people who shop on eBay and understand these kinds of things, and specifically look for these kinds of items. If you are one of these people, please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. You can see that I have no reserve price or minimum bid. If I can make things easier, let me know and I will do everything within my abilities. One more note, on the same day my mom had her stroke, the lease to my store was summarily terminated without cause. The measurements of the box are 12 and a half inches by 7 and a half inches by 16 and a quarter inches. All of the items that I originally found inside the cabinet are included in the sale and will be delivered with the cabinet. On June 12, 2003, at 2.15 Pacific Time, Seller added the following information. There is no way that I can respond to all the emails I have received since I put this thing online. I'll try now to update and answer the most common questions I've been receiving. No, I am not religious. No, I do not wish to have or participate in any sort of exorcism or case study or photo sessions at my home. No, I will not sell any of the individual pieces which were originally found separate from the other pieces in the cabinet. No, I do not speak Hebrew, nor do I know what the word keselim means. I don't know that the word is even a Hebrew word. At the end of the auction, I have decided to take an opportunity to speak with the winning bidder for two reasons. To make sure that the winning bidder is a serious adult who has employed some valid reasoning skills in making the decision to accept whatever this is. I will not be judgmental. Do whatever you want or need after the sale. B. To offer full details of the events that have transpired after I have carried out those these responsibilities and upon payment, I will have the cabinet and its contents delivered by U.S. Mail, FedEx, or UPS to the winning bidder. At that point, I will have no further involvement with the matter in any way, shape, or form. Period. To all of you who have offered to pray, I may not be religious, but I am certainly open to the possibilities. No matter what your religion might be, thank you. On June 14th of 2003, at 521 Pacific Standard Time, seller added the following information. 
Here's another update for everyone following this listing. No, no, I will not circumvent or make any deals outside of eBay, even for more money than the final auction price. If you want to win the auction and have the kind of money some of you are offering, there shouldn't be any reason why you cannot simply place your bid in an open, honest fashion. I'm sure you can understand why I might be suspicious. Also, for those wanting to know if I'm still experiencing anything out of the ordinary, I thought everything was okay until I got home on Friday the 13th of June and found that the fish in my freshwater aquarium, all 10, were dead. I'm still hoping that all of this is coincidental crap. So that's the end of the eBay the eBay posting that was with the box when it was originally posted by Kevin Manis. Okay, really creepy, right? Like, oh, that part about his whole family having the same nightmare, just, it creeps me out. So then after he puts it on eBay, it's sold to a student at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Fun fact, I actually went to that college, so it's kind of cool. But anyway, the student's name was Losef Nitsky. And he claims that the cabinet caused him and his roommates to suffer various health problems. It made light bulbs break. It caused a bug infestation in their house. It made weird smells, including the smell of cat urine. And they didn't have pets. And a whole bunch of other weird shit. And then his hair started to fall out. And he went to a doctor and got test after test after test. And everything was negative. So he was like, okay, well, maybe it's stress, you know, like, I'm going to Truman. Truman's the Harvard of the Midwest, their slogan, not mine. But it is a stressful, stressful school, let me tell you. So wouldn't surprise me if someone's hair fell out but for going to school there. But finally, he's like, you know what, I have had enough. I'm putting this back on eBay. Screw this. So then the box was seen by Jason Haxton who has actually wrote a book about his experiences while having the Dybbuk box in his possession. It's it's a little slow to get into, so I haven't finished it, but I'm assuming it'll be okay. So anyway, Jason Haxton is the curator of the, I think it's the Museum of Medicine, I'm not sure, but I do know that it's on campus at A.T. Still University in Kirksville. The museum is super cool. They have like an entire human nervous system just shellacked to a board. And some people might not think that's cool, but I think that is just amazing. But they have all kinds of stuff from A.T. Still, because he started the first osteopic, like, school of medicine. Or no, he started the first osteopathic school of medicine. Sorry. But it's really cool. I've been in the museum myself. Super cool. Have I met Jason? No. But he does good work at the museum. He bought the box because he thinks of it as a historical puzzle that he needs to solve. Like, good for you, bub. And then, so he had the box shipped to his office at the museum. And then within days of the box arriving in the museum, the computer started to crash. Light bulbs that were around the box would go out or blow and stuff like that. So his, like, staff was just like, Jason, this thing's gotta go. Like, it's getting creepy. So he's like, okay, I can't really, like, piss off my employees. So he puts it in, like, a locking compartment in his truck. 
He didn't really describe the kind of compartment, but I'm assuming it's like a locking bed cover or a toolbox. One of the two. But then after he puts it in his truck and he takes it home, he has dreams. And this is his quote directly from the episode of Paranormal Witness about this box. And he says he had dreams of a sunken-eyed old woman whose face dissolves into ghastly injuries as if the flesh was being torn and ripped. I don't know about you, but that creeps me out and makes me not want to sleep in the dark. <laughs> so, it goes. he goes on to say that, like, he had bloody eyes and he had hives and he was puking blood and all this crazy, like, plagues of Egypt type of stuff that you would hear about in the Bible or something. Crazy. And then him and his son are in the living room one night and they're watching TV and his son looks over at him. He goes, dad, what's that? He goes, you know, what are you talking about? He goes, look over there. And his son points out that there's this, as Jason describes it, a black mass in the corner. And he said it looked almost like flames and it was just moving around and it scared the living daylights out of him. So he was like, all right, this has got to go. This is endangering my family. So he puts the box in the base, in the cellar, basement, whatever you want to call it, of a rental house that is empty. So finally he was like, you know what, I got to find out more about this box. So he calls Kevin. Well, Kevin freaks out. He thinks that Jason's going to try to make him take the box back. So he hangs up the phone on him. He's like, ah, fuck you. But then he calls Kevin back and he goes, please don't hang up on me. I just need help trying to figure out how to fix this box how to you know put the divic back in the box essentially so he started wondering you know like maybe if there's something wrong in this story and he was like oh there's a few things that like could be wrong um because i guess the woman who owned the box originally her name was havila and jason's mother were both 103 jewish ladies and so he was like, hey, I'm going to call up Kevin and I'm going to ask him more questions. And he talked to Kevin and I guess everything came out fine. So finally, he was just like, help me put this Dybbuk back in this box. So Kevin was like, okay, well, I'll go talk to the family and see if they know anything about it. And then he, I guess he had gone to the house and the granddaughter was like, now get out of here, blah, blah, blah. But then she was telling him, she ended up telling him the name of Havila's cousin, Sophie, who told Kevin the story of how the Dybbuk had become trapped in the box. So Sophie had told him that between the two world wars, seances were like the thing. They're like totally in and popular and everyone was doing it. And so they had made a spirit board and then, and I guess their version of a spirit board was like an embroidered piece of cloth that had an alphabet, you know, and stuff like that. And you would dangle a pendant or a pendulum, whatever you want to call it, above the cloth with the letters. And it, the pendant or pendulum, whatever you want to call it, would swing and it would spell out letters or answer questions and all that good stuff. So they ended up coming into contact with a spirit and... They thought that, well, maybe since there's, like, this negative energy because 
there's a second world war coming, like maybe it attracted evil spirits. So Havilah and Sophie tried to bind the spirit, but they failed. Surprise. And then, I guess after the war, they tried to bind it again and were able to trap it inside the wine cabinet. And so while Sophie's talking to Kevin, she began apologizing. But Kevin was like, dude, what, what are you apologizing for? And he's like, what are you so upset for? Like, what's the big deal? And she said that it was probable that the spirit they summoned had been the cause of World War II. I read that and I went crazy. I was like, what? You, no, no, no. Anyway, like that's just, oh, that's insane. But anyway, moving on. So Jason Haxton, you know, the guy that owns the box currently, uh, he's like, okay, we got to talk to some rabbis because obviously if this is a Jewish spirit, we're going to need, you know, someone of the Jewish faith, like a professional. He's like, we're going to call up a rabbi. Well, they ended up, they saw a rabbi and I guess they had worked out a way to try to seal it back up. And so he has this ark made. And no, not Ark, like, you know, Noah's Ark, the boat, but like Ark of the Covenant that held the original Ten Commandments. If you're not religious, you might not know what I mean, but you can like Google it. But it's like this really fancy, ornate chest that held the Ten Commandments. And he had kind of like a plain, basic version of it made to hold the box. And then he put it in a military-grade explosive-proof box and buried it on his private property. And everyone's like, oh, and he kept telling everyone, oh, no one knows where it is. It's safe, blah, blah, blah. But the residents of Kirksville knew exactly where his property was. And so obviously if they wanted to search his entire 26 acre property, they could have found it because everyone knew that he had 26 acres in Greentop, Missouri, right outside of Kirksville, like within 10 miles, a little spot in the road blink you'll miss it type of thing and I actually was I had gone through there multiple times after the box was already gone but you know it's, it's just really weird to think but anyway so it was in green top for years and then he dug it up in 2017 and he took it to Zach Bagans the guy from Ghost Adventures and he has the haunted museum well He takes it to the Haunted Museum and he tells Zach about it and he goes, here, it's your problem now. So they, they did a big episode on it for like the Haunted uh, Ghost Adventures Artifacts is the name of the show. And Jason was telling Zach about it and he brings it in and they bring in Kevin Manis, the original owner, and they talk about it and they talk to rabbis and all kinds of stuff. And Kevin, his dumb little booty, goes into their little isolation room and opens the box. <laughs> he opened the box. Kevin opened the box that held this demon that plagued him for years. Can you get any more stupid? I, I, I don't understand. Because obviously, me, I'm like a cautious person. So, if I were to have owned this box and got rid of it, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I might help you seal this back up because I don't want this to happen to anyone else because this was fucking terrible. But once it's sealed up in the box, I'm not going to go open it again. Like, what the heck, man? 
Don't do that. Like, you got rid of it. You're done. Don't do it anymore. But whatever. Okay. So then, this is the fun part. So anyone listening, if you know Post Malone or know of him or anything like that, this will be interesting. So Post Malone actually went to the museum and he went in the room that has the Dybbuk box. And I guess Zach had taken the plexiglass case off the top of it and touched the box. And I guess Post Malone had put his hand on Zach's shoulder as he was touching the box. And then Post Malone suffered a whole bunch of like really, really weird coincidences like his his plane had to make an emergency ex uh his plane had to make an emergency landing because i guess the tires blew and then there were three guys who were trying to rob this house in california that they thought was post malone's and then his rolls his rolls royce ended up getting into like some kind of wreck and it was a big thing because like everyone's like oh post malone he has like the shittiest luck ever and some people are like, oh, it's because he went and saw that dang Dybbuk box. I don't know. My personal opinion is that some of it could have been, you know, kind of put on for a show. There's a possibility it was, but there's also a strong possibility, in my opinion, that it's real. I tend to believe in these things. I personally am a religious person. I believe in Satan and demons and you know, stuff like that. Not everyone does. You're not a bad person if you don't. That's just my personal belief. So it's just, it's really weird for me to think that this is something that happened to somebody. Like, it's just, oh, it's my nightmares. Ugh, I couldn't do it. But it's just, ah. At least, can we please all agree that Kevin is kind of stupid for opening up the box after he got rid of the Dybbuk and all the stuff associated with it. Like, this box, he believes, caused his mother's death. Because after, I guess, her stroke from coming in contact with the box, his mother ended up passing away and had, like, a really rough few years where she had all kinds of health problems and just, ugh. Now, it could be attributed to the fact that she was 103, but... I digress. It's kind of up to you what you think. Um, another fun fact before we say goodbye is that when Jason Haxton had the box, he actually showed it in... Okay, so there is a psychology professor at Truman State. His name is Sal Costa. He's a pretty cool dude. Um, I sat in on one of his classes during this summer camp thing. And he's a pretty nice guy. Um, but anyway, him and Jason are like best buds. And Jason brought the box into Sal's psychology classes. And there were students would like, you know, look at it. It was like sitting on his desk during class. It was super weird. And then they also took it to Kirksville High School. And they showed it to the kids at the high school. And I know this because there was a girl I went to college with at Truman... She lived down the hallway from me, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't really have contact with her anymore. We just have separate lives. She has a lot going on, and I have my deal here, and now I live like two hours away from Kirksville. So, 
we we grew apart but she told me that while she was in high school at Kirksville High School they brought the Dybbuk box in in like a plexiglass case like you couldn't touch it but they brought it in and they like showed it to him and I was like girl that is so creepy creepy but anyway I thought that would be kind of like a interesting little tidbit to throw in there because I had like personal connections to the last story too so I thought I'd throw some more in this one since we're only on the second episode so yeah that's about all I got for this episode I'm gonna try really hard to get another one up really quick because I was gone for so long so I'll try to work on that You guys have a fantastic day, afternoon, night, whatever time of day this is for you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.